You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Well, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We do expository preaching here at this church, which means we're continuing where we left off last week in Second Peter chapter three. And um, as as we're going through verse by verse through the the epistles of the Apostle Peter, uh, we see this theme kind of continually popping up: hope and holiness. We see uh, Peter is reminding Christians of their hope in the gospel and their hope of Jesus's return, and then he is calling them to moral living, upright and good and holy living as he does that. In chapter one of his second letter, he just gives them a lot of reminders of that theme, hope and holiness. Um, In chapter two, he specifically deals with false teachers. He calls them out. He talks about their motivations, and he talks about how we in the church can guard against false teaching. And in chapter three that I'm going to cover today and next week, um, he deals with the second coming. Um, I I grew up in Lincoln County and uh, I spent some time in a church called Hamlin Baptist and there was a pastor before my time there named Jerry Rose. Some of y'all might know who he is, but he pastored for a while at Hamlin Baptist Church and uh, he used to tell this story of preaching about the second coming of Jesus, the return of Christ. And and he got a a local trumpet player, I think from the high school in town, um, to hide in the baptistry. Um, during his sermon. Now, there's nobody in the baptistry, okay? So I don't want y'all to get freaked out or worried or anxious or anything. But he had this trumpeteer hide in the baptistry so that he could make a sermon illustration and blow the trumpet of God, so to speak, for Jesus' return. And, um, they, and as if the trumpet wasn't loud enough in that church in the first place, he, he also mic'd the trumpet and put a microphone in it, blared it through the sound system, and Waited till like after the altar call and um, he would tell the story that everyone was kind of gathering their, their coats and their pocketbooks and stuff like, okay, pastor preached too long. We got to get to lunch, you know, that whole deal. And he said, now be ready. You got to be ready because the trumpet of God can sound at any minute. And on cue, the trumpeteer, you know, and it blasts. And he said that pocketbooks and coats went everywhere in the sanctuary, <laughs> scared everybody to death. And um, so that's, I'm not going to be as mean as Pastor Jerry, but um but I'm just going to tell you, you better pay attention today, okay? Um, I've got three things I want to show you in this passage as we look at the second coming of Jesus. Number one, we'll look at God's promise to return. Jesus has promised to return for us, his church. Um, secondly, we'll look at God's persistence, not just in our day or even the day of the apostles, but how God has been persistent throughout all of history. And uh, thirdly and finally, we'll, we'll finish by looking at God's patience with sinners. Um, God has delayed his son's return because he is long-suffering and patient with sinners. Let's look at the first one, God's promise. Um, what Peter does is he kind of zooms out. If you've ever seen a mosaic that's made up of small images to make one big image, um, if you look at just the small images, you lose sight of the big image. And, um, and so what Peter does is he kind of zooms out to focus on the bigger picture, uh, a bigger picture of all of creation. He wants to show them that from the beginning of time to the time that he's writing this and even into the future that God is working out an eternal plan of redemption. And, and many of us maybe find ourselves at a point in life or maybe you've already had this existential crisis kind of moment where you, you ask yourself, what's the point of it all? What's the point of existence? What's the point of all these things? And um, one answer to that, um, I think the, the authoritative answer is the glory of God. But I, I particularly like the way that Um, a Puritan preacher put it, a guy named Jonathan Edwards who lived and ministered in the 18th century um, in in colonial America. And I want to share a little bit lengthier quote with you from Jonathan Edwards. Um, He put it this way, the creation of the world 
seems to have been especially for this end, that the eternal Son of God might obtain a spouse towards whom he might fully exercise the infinite benevolence of his nature and to whom he might, as it were, open and pour forth all that immense fountain of condescension, love, and grace that was in his heart and that in this way God might be glorified. You see, if, if all of creation is, and, and, and thereby all of history as well, is ultimately for God's glory, then what that means is that it is through Jesus Christ and through the redemption that Jesus brought to mankind through his death on a cross and his resurrection. And so all of creation is for God's glory in the redemption of a bride for the Son of God, Jesus. And if that's the case, and I believe that it is, I think that's the message of the Bible, if that's the case, then the bridegroom, Jesus, returning to, to get his bride, the church, is a very important doctrine. And it's a very important promise for us to hold on to as Christians. Matter of fact, Jesus preached about it. He said, in my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And in verse uh, John 14, 3, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is a promise that we hold on to as the church. Now, the problem that Peter was addressing in his day is that P uh, Peter was writing to Christians who were hearing false teachers uh, proclaim that the second coming was not true, that Jesus was not coming back. And the false teachers um, that were preaching this, this is what Peter is writing to refute. And he specifically addresses it as he transitions from um, recognizing false teaching to recognizing and being reminded of the second coming. Read along with you, if you will, in um, 2 Peter 3, we'll read the first four verses. Uh, Peter says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of all creation. So Peter again is saying in his opening lines in chapter three that he is, uh, he is coming um, or he is, he's writing to remind the church of the things that they need to be reminded of. He, he actually calls out in verse one, he says, I'm writing to stir up your sincere mind. And so he's acknowledging, I'm not writing this because I think you don't know it. I'm writing this because you need reminded of it. And, and that's, that's, um, that's something that we as Christians hold on to and hold it in, in high priority, that we need to be reminded of things. That's why Sunday after Sunday, generally, we do the, the same thing here. We change the songs a little bit, and we change the, the sermon text and things like that, but ultimately, um, we're doing the same thing here Sunday after Sunday. It's a rhythm of reminder that God has called us into as His church. And it's tempting for us to feel the monotony of it. It's tempting for us to be bored with the routine. But I would just call you to this because the Bible calls you to it. And it's good for us because if we're not continually reminded of the gospel and Jesus' uh, return for us, then we'll tend to forget it. Um, I'm, uh, listen, I'm, I'm 34 years old, I think. And, um, and I'm at the point of my life, I didn't think it would happen this early, but, but just several weeks ago, um, someone thought that my wife was my daughter. And again, like I didn't think it would happen this soon, but once that, once that I knew it was coming, right? And then... <laughs> Once that happens, I just feel like 
you just kind of give up on everything. You just let yourself go. I've just accepted my lot in life at this point. Um, there's no more effort on my part. And, and um, part of that, just kind of letting go, is, is um, putting all the weight of memory on a lady named Siri. I talked about this in an earlier sermon, right? So, um, so I'm wholeheartedly dependent on um, a robotic, invisible woman that Steve Jobs created uh, to remind me what I'm doing in a given day. Actually, the other day I texted Amanda and I said, hey, I'm really sorry, I forgot, but what was it you wanted me to pick up from the store for you today? And she said, there was nothing I said to you about the store. I just created this thing in my mind. And so like, you know, it's part of, part of you know, getting, getting old. I've just accepted it. Um, but the reminders that we see in the Bible, we, we get frustrated because we feel like we don't need reminded. But the reality is we do, even if it doesn't feel like we need reminded. And so Peter says, hey, you have a sincere mind. I know you get the gospel, but I want to remind you of it. And I want to remind you of the second coming. Um, In verse two, he says what he's reminding them of. He's reminding them of the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior. So two things. Um, He's reminding them of the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of Jesus. Now, the prediction that he's referring to is the second coming. The Old Testament speaks a lot of the culmination of of history, um, the return of God to bring wrath and judgment into into creation to establish a new heaven and a new earth. Um, And this is such an important idea in the New Testament. Okay, I want you to see this. Uh, 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament explicitly mention the second coming of Jesus. Two other books um, definitely allude to it, leaving only two books of the New Testament that don't mention it at all. And that is, um, that's Philemon and 3 John, which by the way are the shortest books in the New Testament. And so I think they don't mention it just because they're laser focused on other topics. But so what you see is generally speaking, every New Testament writer mentioning that Jesus is returning for us. Um, there are 300, or 300 references to the second coming in the New Testament and only 260 chapters in the New Testament. So you see this is a very important uh, prediction and doctrine. And so when he says, I'm reminding you of the prediction of the second coming of Jesus, he is uh, reminding them of something very important for them to keep in the front of their mind. And this is the hope that Peter is giving them. And the holiness that he's giving them is in light of the return of Jesus that they live in an upward way, that they live in a morally upright lifestyle, that they abstain from sin. They don't do the things that God has commanded in his law that we don't do. And we do actually work hard to do the things that God has commanded us to do. And he says that in these last days, scoffers will come. Now, now I understand, and this is what we deal with, that there's a little bit of discomfort in when we read in the first century when they called it the last days. Because 2,000 years after the first century, sometimes um, doubt can enter our minds and say, well, how could they call that the last days um, when, when we're 2,000 years past it? Now, what's important to know is every New Testament author that wrote about the last days, they did not know when Jesus would come back. They actually clearly wrote, we do not know. Um, no, one, no man knows when Jesus is returning. And so when they said the last days, they were not referring to a specific day that they were predicting Jesus' return, but rather a period of time. And so the last days, when you see that in your Bible, last days refers to the time 
from when Jesus ascended back to heaven to when he comes again. And so that means that we are living in the last days. So what do we do with that? Well, we need to be prepared that scoffers will come. Peter literally says that scoffers will come scoffing. It's a little bit repetitive. Of course, they're scoffers. That's why they get their title, because they're scoffing. Scoffers will come scoffing. Doubters will doubt. Like Taylor Swift, the great theologian, has taught us, haters going to hate, 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 hate. Okay? And, and the reason is actually given for this. The reason that people are going to doubt the return of Jesus, the reason that people are going to scoff and mock is because of their sin. Verse 3 says they're following their own sinful desires. Now, I hope that uh, we don't have a room full of false teachers here. We might have some watching on the internet. I don't know. But, but my hope is that, that generally speaking, y'all aren't teaching like whack doctrines that aren't found in the Bible. But one thing that it is good for us to guard against is letting our desire for sin shape our doctrine. What I mean by that is sometimes in an effort to justify the things that bring us pleasure, the things we want to do, we kind of wiggle out of what the Bible says or ignore some of the commandments in God's law. Well, Peter says that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. They were beginning to deny the second coming because they, in their mind, if Jesus wasn't coming back, then they could live however they wanted. And Peter actually says in another part of his letter that their lives were marked by greed and by sexual impurity. And so their lifestyle matched their bad theology and their theology led to more sin and it became this vicious cycle that they lived in and led others into. Jude, Jesus' brother, actually quotes uh, Peter, the apostle, in Jude uh, verses 17 and 18. He says, you remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following Look what they're following. They're ungodly passions. They're not following scripture. They're not following the teachings of Jesus. They're instead following their feelings. They're following their own pleasures. They're following their bellies. They're following their pleasures. And this is something that we need to guard against because we're all susceptible to find sin that we like and follow that more than we follow scripture. And when that happens, we begin to try to justify and we kind of inch further and further away from the church and further and further away from uh, taking God's word into our heart time after time. So their claim, what was their claim? Well, number one, their claim was that Jesus wasn't coming back. Verse four, they say, where's the promise of his return? Um, and their claim is also that creation would continue as they say it always had. Um, this is a heresy and a lie that, that basically the idea was that God created, kind of put everything into existence, and then kind of set back and put it on autopilot, if you will. Um, stepped back and put it on cruise control. And so let's look at the second thing, which is God's persistence. God has persistently worked in his creation. Um, he has intervened also into that creation. He, uh, he didn't just create and step back. And, and, and this, is, this is important for us to understand that, that God is an active God, that he works within his creation. In verse 4, the error that the false teachers make is they say that all things are continuing. You see, the right answer is that God is continuing. If God doesn't sustain creation, it falls apart, it melts. If God doesn't sustain you, you fall apart. Um, I, I saw on TikTok recently, um, there was a, a dude that got in a, a, an Uber that was driven by itself. There was no driver in the car. You talk about bravery. <laughs> Uh, so he gets in and he calls an Uber and, and a car shows up by itself, no one driving it. 
And it's this robotic car with like sensors to see the lanes and all this stuff and just crazy, crazy things. And this is kind of the false teacher's idea of how creation was working, that, that God created something that could drive itself, that the planet, the universe, us, all these things could kind of go on their own. And this ancient heresy is the lie of a, a passive God that kind of sits back and lets whatever happen, happen. Listen to me very clearly. That is not the God that you came here today to worship. You do not come and gather here today to worship a God that's laying on the couch in heaven. You came to worship a God who is in your business, who knows intimately the details of your life, whose heart breaks when your heart breaks, when you feel pain that he is empathetic and feels what you're going through and is not distant from you, but is rather close to you in that pain. That's the God that we came to worship today, amen? He's not a distant God. So do not believe this lie and this heresy that God created and stepped back. God creates and steps in. When God recreates a Christian, when, when we're born again, he doesn't step back to leave us on our own. When God creates, he steps in. He leans into our life. Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul preached that, that we would um, feel our way towards God, and when we would do that, we would actually find that God is not far from any of us, that he's actually close to us. You see, your God and creator and savior is not distant. He's close to you. Look at verse five. Peter says, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now, Peter's using an example of Genesis 1, 2, and 6. And he says in Genesis 1, at the very beginning of the Bible, what we see is um, God's spirit hovering over the faces of the deep. The, the Hebrew word used there is kind of like brooding, like a hen would, would sit on her, her nest. And, and as God is, is hovering over the waters, his word brings forth dry land. We read that in the creation account in the first couple chapters of the Bible. But then just a few chapters later, we fast forward in history and we see that man is so evil that God doesn't just create, but he also destroys. And so the same land that he made appear out of water, he makes disappear underwater. The, the, the point that Peter is making, he's not just telling Bible stories, he's making a point that God creates and he also destroys. The main point is that God intervenes into creation. He's inter intervened time and time again through history. Peter could have went on, he used this one example to be sufficient, but he could have went on and, and shown thousands of years of interventions, divine interventions into history. His point is that one final divine intervention is forthcoming, and that is the return of Jesus. Verse 7, he references it. He says, By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so he says, What is coming when Jesus returns is the, the brooding in or, or captivating of the church and then wrath and judgment on the ungodly. He even uses the word fire, indicating that the literal um, planets and, and all of the universe will be destroyed and God's wrath will be poured out so that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Um, you see, God's been working for thousands of years throughout history and he's writing a redemption story that is perfect and without error. And... In the end, the ungodly will see judgment and destruction, but for now, these things are stored up. The, the word means held back. The judgment and wrath of God are being restrained right now. And why are they being restrained? Because God is patient. And so uh, look with me at the third point of God's patience. 
Um, no one tries my patience like the IRS. Y'all thought I was going to say my kids. They're a close second, but the IRS is at the top of the list. Okay, um, I, I actually, and before the pandemic, which seems like eons ago, right? Um, I had an issue with the IRS and uh, and claiming my dependents and I had to prove adoption of my kids and send in birth certificates and send in doctor's notes and school registration, all this stuff. And, and so I, I made an appeal, talked to lawyers, talked to accountants because I ended up having to pay a lot of money that I didn't actually owe. And, um, and so I made this, I had something like a 60 page appeal to the IRS and, um, and then pandemic hit, right? And every IRS desk apparently had a stack of papers as high as the Tower of Babel. And so, you know, I didn't hear anything. And then you try to call the IRS. Y'all know maybe how fruitless that is. I went to Huntington and met with someone um, who, who works for the IRS and I knew more than her and, um, you know, so forth and so on. And it got to the point that, that I, I began to feel like it was hopeless. I was just like, that I'm never going to get my money back. There's no point in even like fighting this anymore. I just need to accept the monopoly of the government and be mad about it the rest of my life. Okay. And so I'd accepted that lot. And then just, just a couple weeks ago, we actually got a letter and they refunded the money. And so I was like, miracles do happen. Thank you, Jesus. And, um, but, but what we see in that is, is that like my patience wore thin and the long, like every day that passed, I believed less that it would actually work out good. And this is the lie that Christians tend to believe that every day that passes where Jesus doesn't make things right, we begin to believe that it'll never be made right. And doubt begins to creep into our minds, whether in this life or in eternity, we begin to have doubt as to, is God really working together all things for my good? Because the more days I go, the worse things seem to be. It's a common story. Maybe your life's been gravy and been awesome, but for most of us, it's filled with suffering, sadness, difficulty, and exhaustion. And many of us may be in a position where we look to heaven and say, Lord, why don't you just come back? Why don't you just get us out of here? Why don't you just uh, realize the full redemption of your glory? Because I can't take this anymore. Well, biblically, the reason, if Jesus doesn't come back today, the reason for it is because he is patient with sinners. That there are people in your life who have not yet repented and become a son or daughter of Jesus' glorious kingdom, and God is being patient with them. And so when you feel like you can't take it anymore, you be reminded of this great gospel truth that God was patient long enough for you to come to repentance, and he's waiting on others to repent as well. Verse 8 tells us this. He says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so it's tempting for us 2,000 years past the resurrection of Jesus to be like, is this actually happening? Is there actually going to be a return? But according to God's timeline, it's only been about two days. Okay. So, so Peter's writing this to say, God's timing is perfect. Don't rush his timing. You just follow his commands. You just continue in hope and holiness. Verse nine says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. Like most of us would say, 2,000 years, that's slow. That's a long time. But if it's just a couple days, like God's doing better than the IRS, right? So the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isn't this a great and beautiful truth of God our Savior? 
that he is long-suffering, that he is patient. How many of y'all need God to be patient with you? Amen? Like, we need that. We don't want God to lose his patience with us. We need his mercy and grace to be lavished upon us because we are forgetful of the grace that was shown to us on a cross. We need his patience. And guess what? The people who are not yet in his church need it even more than you need it. They need it from you and they need it from God. And so God sovereignly saves sinners. It's what he does. Peter actually even in his first letter calls us the chosen ones or the elect that were chosen before the foundation of the world to be in God's family. And so we look at uh, verses like verse 9 and we say, hey, if it's God's will that everyone should reach repentance, is this a case where God doesn't get what he wants? How can that be? What, can you un- explain that philosophical conundrum? If God's all-powerful, all-knowing, then how could something happen that's against God's will? Well, I don't know that I have a great answer for that, but I will say that somehow all of history is going to work together for the ultimate and maximum glory brought to God. And so if God wants all to reach repentance, yet people do go to hell, does that mean that God is not getting his way? Let me explain this the best way I can um, using Chris Sowards as an analogy. And I didn't get his permission, so deal with it, Chris. Um, But Chris Sowards, more than anybody I know, loves to fish. Amen? Amen. And if you ask Chris on any given day, what would you want to be doing right now? He'd probably say fishing. Okay? That would be like the passive will of God. He knows fishing is good, and it's a great tool for him. It's something that he enjoys doing. But he also knows that there is a greater good that has to be done sometimes. He's got a family. He's got a job. And like he's got to go to work, so there are days that he has to not fish so he can go to work so he can make money to buy more fishing gear, right? It's just how, how life works. Um, but God, when he looks at every human being he's created in his image, he looks at them, and his downright core is that God abhors sin. He wants sin to be out of every life that he has created, and he wants us to turn from it and trust in him. But the greater good is that God would exercise both his grace and his justice, both his mercy and his wrath. And so what we we actually see in, in 2 Peter 3 is a glimpse into the very heart of God, that, that he does not inflict wrath with, with a, a sadistic kind of pleasure, but he is patient and long-suffering with it, wanting everyone to hate sin as much as he does. And as you see into God's heart, as Peter shows you what God's heart is like, he wants your heart to be the same. That you hate sin in your life and you hate the sin in other people's life just as much as God does and you repent of your sin and you call other people to repent of their sin as well. Does it bother you that people go to hell? It should. Well, instead of sitting around talking about how can this be in God's justice, how about we tell them about how they can repent and trust Jesus? We see God has given us a clear calling and mission to repent ourselves and then bring other people to repentance with us. God's will for you, if you're curious about what that looks like, is to repent of your sin continually. That's why we stay in this routine and reminder 
week after week of the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to save jacked up people like us and turn us into saints. And so we get in this routine of just repenting week after week, coming to the table, being reminded of grace, and worshiping him until we're perfected in heaven. Verse 10 tells us what his return will be like. It says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Come like a thief. Y'all get those people that call you. They might just call me, but those people that are calling about your car's warranty. They used to call me and I'd just mess with them. I got this from my dad. He taught me to do this, but I'd begin to tell them about my old F-150 and see if I could get a warranty on it. And they'd be like, oh no, we don't have a warranty on that. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. Now I actually have a warranty because I've like moved on up in life. Um, so now I'm like, is there a possibility this is real? But it's probably not. Um, but, but imagine someone calling you like a telemarketing call and say, hey, um, Mr. Basham, we just wanted to schedule something with you. Okay, what are you scheduling? Um, we're scheduling the robbery of your home. So could you just let us know a few dates where you're not going to be home so we can show up and take all your stuff, right? Thieves don't do that. They're not that organized and they don't make appointments. And so uh, when, when Jesus compares himself to a thief, what the, the core theme that he's trying to show us is that we will never know when his return is going to be. Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Jesus preached about this. He's echoing exactly what Jesus said about his own return. In Matthew 24, uh, all of that discourse, Jesus tells his disciples and thereby us, he says, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Um, you, like, like I'll compare it to this. Like when Amanda and I go on a date and uh, we leave our teenage children in charge of our younger children, like we always kind of in the back of our minds worry about what nonsense is happening at our home. And so our strategy, I'm going to give it away to some of my kids who are listening, but our strategy is when we get back, we don't dilly-dally in the garage. We get back and we like run into the house as soon as we can and try to catch them in the nonsense they're doing while we're gone, right? And, and in the same way, like I remember hearing, hearing my preacher when I was a kid talking about the Lord coming back, you know, that he, he, was, he would tell us all the time, don't ever be somewhere you wouldn't want to be caught when Jesus comes back. And I, I'd like worry about what I was wearing. I'm like, I don't want, I need to dress nice today because what if Jesus comes back? I want to look nice when he shows up. And then like back, I lived back in the days of Napster. Some of y'all young people don't know what that is, but we used to just burn all these illegal CDs with all kinds of cuss words on them. And I'd be listening to them when I was in high school and my mom chucked some of them out the window on Trace Creek, didn't you mom? She just frisbee them out the window. And, um, but, but I'd be listening to those sometime and I'd hear my old preacher in the back of my mind like, man, what if Jesus shows up? I'm just driving down listening to Insane Clown Posse. Like, I don't want to show up at <laughs> heaven like that. I'd be embarrassed. So turn on Chris Tomlin instead. <laughs> How great. <You> know, just <laughs> I love this story of, of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the guy that sparked the Protestant Reformation. Um, German pastor in the 16th century. Um, some people went and asked Martin Luther. They said, Martin, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do today? And his answer was, I would plant a tree and pay my taxes. Apparently, Luther liked the IRS more than I do. 
Um, but I love that answer because Luther was kind of a smart aleck. And, and what he was doing with that was showing that I would do exactly what I had planned to do today normally. Meaning that he wanted to live his life in a way that every day he anticipated the joyous return of Jesus. And I want to live today, if, if I knew Jesus was coming this afternoon, I want to carry out my morning just like I know it. And so if, if we become like these like doomsday preppers filling our basements with green beans and guns, right? We, we get a little bit loony on Jesus' return. We, we don't want to be people who just stare into the eastern sky and fixate on the return of Christ. But we also don't want to be people who deny the return of Christ. We know he's coming back. And so let's plant some trees and pay our taxes, right? And let's carry out the great commission that Jesus has given us, that we go into all nations. The word is ethnos, different people. We go to all people and we tell them they can repent and they can be adopted into the family of God. This is the greatest news I've ever received in my life. And I want everyone to hear about it. That's what we busy ourselves with, church. Because Jesus has died for our sins. He's risen from the dead, and he has promised to come back for us to keep me in his presence for eternity. That's what I live my life for. I can plant some trees, and I can go fishing, and I can go to baseball games, and I can do that with the joyful expectancy that Jesus is coming for me personally. And everyone around me needs to know the beautiful truth of that gospel. If you know that to be true, if you believe that in your mind and your heart, then you have no option but to repent. And I would say even repent on a continual basis of your sin. To, to begin to hate your sin. To, ask, to pray and ask God, this thing that I, that I love because it makes me feel good, but I know is contrary to your will, can you change my mind? Can you change my desires to where I begin to hate that thing like you hate it, God? Some of y'all need to do some serious repenting today and beg the Lord to change your mind about that thing that you've held on to. And the admonition toward that is that you are a bride who is being prepared and adorned for a glorious wedding day that is coming for you. Jesus loves you too much to leave you in the sad state of sin that he found you in. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.